0: He is so glorious, He is the author of life, He is living water, the beginning and the end, and we are so desperate for Him, and when we savor His goodness, when we taste and we see that God is truly magnificent and glorious, we are responding to Him with worship. We're acknowledging that He is glorious and we are not. And this is why we gather together. Today we are continuing in our series, series called Renewal, Becoming the Church That God Intends. And the church is the people of God who are called to display His glory. We're the ones that are indwelt by His Spirit the same spirit that resurrected Jesus, the same spirit that lives inside of you and me who are following Jesus. And through his transforming, sanctifying work in our lives, and we are following Jesus together, we are displaying his indescribable glory so that Abu Dhabi and all the nations that are here can see, they can just get a glimpse of who our God is. So our desire is to be renewed. So this series of renewal is my prayer that we would be renewed, that the Spirit of God be so active in our lives and we would so enjoy our Savior Jesus that the world sees our God's character displayed through our lives individually and together as a faith family. We began last week considering how in order for our church to be healthy and to display the glory of God, we must first have healthy leadership. Because any organization, which is true, but especially of the church, can only be as healthy as her leadership. And so last week we considered elders who are the shepherd leaders in a church. Today we're talking about the other role of leaders in the church, talking about deacons who are lead servants in the church. Let's begin by reading from God's Word in Acts chapter 6 as we learn about having a healthy church leadership and how it impacts the entire body. Acts 6 will be in verses 1 through 7. And the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they said before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The Spirit of God was very active. He was at work in the first century church here in Jerusalem. We're seeing people coming to faith, including priests here at the end of this text is telling us. If you read from chapters one through five, what you're seeing is a great number of people that were being transformed by the Spirit through the proclamation of the gospel. And you're seeing the church just exploding here in Jerusalem and growing very quickly. And when you get here to Acts chapter 6, what you see is this young, exploding church is experiencing great growing pains. Because nothing grows without growing pains. And we ourselves in our church have experienced it in our own ways. And so what you have here, even with the 12 apostles themselves leading this church, they still weren't perfect. And they also had their issues to work through and had to work through these growing pains. Now what you're seeing here in this text, this this problem that, that they're confronting at its root is cultural diversity. And so whenever you have a context where there's a lot of cultural and ethnic diversity, that's a tremendous blessing. That's what the church of God should look like. And yet, because we're human, along with that comes some complications and things you have to work through. What you had in the church of Jerusalem was, as we see here, Two primary groups of people, two primary languages that were being spoken in the church. One was Aramaic. And so Aramaic was a form of Hebrew that was spoken by those of Jewish descent. Like it says here, the Hebrews, they spoke Aramaic. The other language was Greek. It says here, the Hellenists. Now Hellenists were Jews, but they were Greek-speaking Jews. And they had been dispersed across the entire Greco-Roman world about three centuries earlier when Alexander the Great had conquered, and it's called a dispersion, the diaspora. And so you had all of these Jews that were spread across the known world, and they spoke the lingua franca, the, the tongue, which was Greek. And so what you had was these people that were Jewish, ethnically, but They spoke Greek and and had a different culture from the more Hebrew, Aramaic-speaking Jews. And so even though they're both Jews, they're all believers, but they have different language and different cultural backgrounds. So you have conflict and you have disagreement happening in the church between two groups of people that speak different languages. Now let's just think for a second. Disagreements in a church over cultural differences... Now, that never happens, right? That never happens in our church. We never had disagreements with people that come from a different cultural background. And the truth is that we know exactly what that's like. And I've had a lot to learn in the last approaching now almost three years on learning different cultures and how to relate to people. And this is a good thing because what you see in this room is a picture of what heaven's going to be like, different People with every tribe and nation and tongue worshiping Jesus forever. But we're not in heaven yet. And so there are issues that can come up. And so what you see here in Acts 6 is the Greek widows, so think the most poor and helpless, were being neglected, it says, in the daily distribution. So apparently the the church leadership was seeking to meet needs, of all those that were poor and, and widows and those that were needy. And so this is a good thing. But for some reason, the Greek-speaking widows were being neglected. Now we don't know why. We don't know if it was malicious or if it was an intentional thing, a racist thing. We don't know if it was that. It could have simply been unintentional. It could have been oversight due to language barrier. We don't, we don't know why the Greek widows were being ignored. But we do know that they were being ignored this kind of problem this conflict can happen in any church misunderstandings and disagreements can happen now how do many churches today handle conflict whenever not if but when it arises in a church you know what happens in a lot of churches they split Ever been in a church split before anyone no a few few hands a lot of you raise your hand i have it's it's no fun it's miserable. But then what you have is is you could have easily had first apostolic church of Jerusalem on the corner and then like across the street you could have had second apostolic church of Jerusalem. Just like we have today churches that split. That's not healthy, but it happens. Another way churches sometimes respond to conflict is they call a business meeting and say, "Oh, there's some complainers." There's complainers in the churches, so let's call a meeting, and let's just vote them out. And so at least, at least you can quiet the complainers democratically, right? Or other churches say, no, 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 we need to appoint a committee. And let's, let's, let's find a committee, and then we can just talk about the problem. And we just discuss and discuss and discuss the problem and take no action. Because everyone knows if you just ignore a problem long enough, People would just forget, or move on, or leave, and you don't have to take any action. Or inevitably, a church like that, another conflict arises even bigger, and all the attention then shifts to that new problem, and you can just ignore the old one. And so a lot of churches choose many different ways to handle conflict, but what you see here, with the church in Jerusalem under the leadership of God's Spirit and the apostles, they handled conflict conflict well, with strong leadership, with a desire to bless the body and resolve the disagreement. If they did not ignore it, they handled it with grace and with wisdom. Let me give you the main idea from Acts 6, 1 through 7. This is the primary truth here in this text, is that a healthy church leadership results in a healthy church. You're seeing in Acts 6 that when you have healthy church leadership it will result in a healthy church. Because in Acts 6, you're seeing two types of leaders. You're seeing elders and deacons. And the clear distinction between the two is described here very clearly. Now, last week, we, we talked about the first category, the first type of leader in the church. We talked about elders. Today, we're going to talk about the second one, deacons, Answering the exact same two key questions. So we asked last week, what are elders and what is their role? It's the same questions today. What are deacons and what is their role? So follow the exact same pattern. So key question one is what exactly are deacons? Now, I don't know what your church background is, but everyone tends to have their understandings of what what they've seen what deacons are or aren't. And so let's just stick to what does the Bible say deacons are. Now, the word that we use in English, deacon, is actually a transliteration of the Greek word diakonos. So that's why it's called deacon. It's just taking the the Greek diakonos and converting it to English. We call it deacon. But the meaning of the word deacon or diakonos means servant. That's what it means. So a deacon is a servant. Sometimes in the English we translate that same word as minister. And it really makes sense why we do that, because to minister to someone is to serve them, is to meet their needs, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, financial. When you're meeting a need, you're ministering, you're serving, you're deaconing. That's what the word literally means. So in Acts chapter 6, verse 1, where you read the daily distribution. In the original, that word, it, it says literally the daily diakonia, the, the daily ministering. Like it says in the old King James, ministrations. It's kind of actually an accurate translation. It, so it's, it's literally the daily ministry is what you're seeing here. So the daily serving. Or as you see in the ESV, it says the daily distribution of meeting those needs. And also in verse 2, literally it reads, the apostles are saying, it is not right for us to neglect the word of God to deacon. So it says. It's not right for us to neglect God's word to, it says, serve tables. But the word literally is diakonos, to deacon. And so a deacon is a servant. When you're deaconing, you are serving. That's what the word means in the original language. And so we don't want to confuse what people think it means, and let's look at what the Bible literally says. A deacon is a sacrificial servant. That's what a deacon is. Now, Paul later revealed when he would write to church in Philippi and also to the church to, first, um, to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, he describes that there's two offices. And so he gives this word deacon a official title, a formal leadership role in the church. So, for example, in Philippians 1 verse 1, he writes, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Listen, he says, with the overseers and deacons. And so he's saying that there's these two roles, these two leadership categories Overseers, elders, and deacons. And so, what you're seeing here in Acts 6 is the distinction between the two types of leaders in a church there's elders and there's deacons. Now, full disclosure, let's just be honest. If you look at Acts chapter 6, the word deacon appears several times, but it's not ever used as a formal title. And so, these seven men that you see here that are called are not called deacons and so that title is not used for them that would actually come later in Paul's writings and by the way elder it, they're not named here either so what you're seeing here though is in act 6 even though it doesn't name elder or deacon you are seeing a pattern that is carried out through the rest of the new testament so think of it this way in act 6 this is a prototype this is a prototype of elders and deacons that would be revealed more clearly later in the scriptures. And so you're seeing the template, you're seeing the model or, or, or the pattern for church leadership with these two kinds. So for example, it says the 12, these 12 were the apostles. And it says that, that these were the spiritual leaders, they appointed these other seven men, and it says that they were dedicated to the ministry of the word which is exactly what he would later tell other pastors like Titus and Timothy. He would encourage them to be about the ministry of the Word. And so what you're seeing is the, the office of apostle, of spiritual leadership, and of being ministry of the Word was passed on, that mantle was passed on to elders. As we saw last week, later in the same book, chapter 20, Paul's calling for elders in Ephesus. And so then also these seven men that were called to meet these practical needs, to deacon, to serve, their office, this role, that mantle was passed on to this office of deacon. And so what you're seeing in the Bible is deacons are a body of leaders that are under the authority of the elders. So it's not like there's two houses that are having a power struggle. It's not like that. Elders are the ones that are to be the shepherd leaders But there's a separate body of leaders in a church called deacons that they are the lead servants in a church. They're the ones that lead in serving, meeting the needs in the body. And so the very nature of deacons, just what they do in serving, is this body of of servant leaders, means that it's biblical, and it's wise, it's appropriate, it's helpful to have both men and women serve in the role of deacon. And so in our church, we do recognize that the, the office of elder is reserved for, for men, but deacons, it's open to either one. Now, just brief review, if you weren't here last week, the reason why we, we believe that the role for elders is reserved for men is because in a church an elder plays the role of a father. So it's a father figure role within the faith family. And so the spiritual leaders, the elders play the role of a father, who and in a home, fathers do what? Well, they're to teach their children. They're they're to encourage. And they're they're to lovingly correct even when, when need be. And so the spiritual leadership role of a father is carried over into the church with Elders, And so God has called men to lead their wives in the same way that Jesus leads his wife, the church. Now, I'll, I won't preach on it today, maybe at some point, but Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, describes exactly how men should lead their wives. If ladies, if any of you are wondering, oh, what does that look like? Like, what does it mean? Or men, if you're wondering, Well, how do I do that? How how do I lead my family spiritually? Study Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. There's five specific principles. I'll just list them. I won't won't teach on them today. But you lead your wife how? Number one, with Christ-like love. You cherish her. You honor her. And so you lead your wife with Christ-like love. Number two, you lead your wife with the word. This is all from Ephesians 5. You lead her with the word, how Jesus leads his bride with the word. And so you should lead your home, your children, your wife with the word by being the spiritual leader in your home. You lead next in purity. It says Ephesians 5, that Christ keeps the bride pure, And so, men, you should keep your home pure. You should never bring in junk into your home. You should be the leader that keeps the boundaries and keeps your home pure from, from all of the junk that's outside. You lead in purity. And then, fourthly, you lead with selfless sacrifice. Not selfish, selfless sacrifice. You're sacrificial. Leader, you sacrifice your needs or agendas for the betterment of your wife and your children. You lead, lastly, with intimacy. And so what you're seeing here is all of these things are what Jesus does with us. That's how he leads us. And so the pattern is that's how husbands lead their wives, carried into the church, how elders have this responsibility, this stewardship. Sometimes you can call it a burden, but by God's grace, he sustains us to lead in the church. I'll say this, guys, if you're not married, there's a few of you, NYU students, a few of your high school students, not many adults that are not married in our church. It's a very young family-oriented church. But if you're in the room and you're a male and you're not married, can I give you some advice? Put down the Xbox. I'm serious. Put down... All those things that take up your time, that are foolish and are not helping you. If you're in high school, seriously, put down the video games. Pick up a book. Read. Read something that's going to feed your mind and help you prepare to be the man that one day you're going to be leading a wife and children. And start training now. Start training for godliness now. And ladies, if you're waiting for a guy to to pursue you and you're just saying, God, in your time, I would like to be married, you as well can train now. Learn about what it is to be a wife now. Don't wait until you're married to learn. Guys and gals, start learning now. I encourage everyone, go to the church website this week. Click on where it says resources, and you'll see a list of recommended books. Books on biblical manhood. What is it to be a man? There's great books that, that are on there. What about womanhood? What is what does biblical womanhood look like? There's great books to help you with that. What about parenting? There's suggested books on that. A lot of us need to read some of these books. What about marriage? There's books on that as well. Living on mission, growth. There's so many. And so I encourage you, if you don't know what to read, go to the church website, click on resources, and, and pick something. Get it on your Kindle or your your e-reader or something, or buy it, order it. Feed your mind. Prepare. Train. Let's not be lazy. Let's, Let's intentionally become the men and women, whether single or married, that he wants us to be. And so what we're seeing here is God has given men and women different yet complementary roles in the home and in the church. And so for our church to be healthy, we need to maintain unity. And so topics like this can be hard. I acknowledge that, especially in a church like ours that's so diverse. This is not an easy subject. And yet, we must maintain unity because we have an eternal purpose. And what unites us, even if we disagree on some more minor issues, what unites us is the gospel, that we love Jesus, been saved by his work on the cross, and we share the same spirit, and we have one mission that we share. People that are lost need to hear the good news that Jesus died for them and loves them. And so we unite around the gospel and our mission to reach those who don't know. So back to deacons. Enough of reviews. back, Back to deacons. I praise our God for our deacons, both men and women, who faithfully lead and serve and ensure the health of this faith family. Let me read to you verses 3 and 4 again out of Acts chapter 6. It says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Now, when you read this text, and you're seeing this conflict between the Greek and the Aramaic-speaking believers, you would think that what they needed was administrative skill. You would have thought, now this is an easy fix. All we need is someone that's really good at the administration, pull out the spreadsheet, get a proper schedule going, so that all the ladies are being cared for. And so all we really need is to get better organized would have been a very easy, natural assumption for probably most of us, beginning with me. I like being organized. But if you look at what it says here, it never mentions anything about being organized. We just read, it says what? Men of good repute, full of the spirit, and full of wisdom. At its essence, the problem was spiritual. And so the solution was going to be spiritually mature People that could then help the church to be healthy. And so to be a deacon is all about character. It's not about skill. It's about a heart before God. So it says, you're filled with the spirit and of wisdom. And so deacons are people that are walking with Jesus daily. They're following him. They're enjoying his presence full of the Spirit. And then the Spirit is so gracious that He then blesses people in leadership with wisdom. Because honestly, when you're dealing with people, guess what you need? A lot of wisdom. It's not easy. Let me just tell you, talk to any of our ministry team leaders and they'll tell you, it's not easy. It's hard. It's easier at work. because You know why? Because there's a paycheck involved. And you can say, Oh, do your job. And the person says, I don't want to. The answer is, well, there's the door. But when you're in the church and we're a family, no one is serving for a paycheck. And so people serve faithfully. And when you have to lead people that are giving of their lives and of their time, it takes great wisdom. Wisdom. To balance grace and truth and look, here's what we need, but do it with grace. That's not easy. It's actually really hard. And so God gives the grace and the wisdom that our leaders need. But they're of good repute, sound character. Which is why about 10 years later, Paul would write to Pastor Timothy in Ephesus. He'd write this on the qualifications for A deacon, verses 8 through 13, he says, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, Managing the children in their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. If you look at the qualifications for elder and deacon, they're essentially the same. Well, the difference is elders need to teach and deacons aren't required to. Now, a lot of them can and do, but it's not a qualification. Other than that, What you're seeing with deacons is the same character. And they're servant leaders patterned after the servant ministry of Jesus. So our ministry team leaders serving in this office of deacon, they're serving the way Jesus did. Like in Luke 22, 26 and 27, our master says, The greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who comes at the table? But I, among you, am one who serves. Jesus serves. He made himself humble. And Jesus is a servant leader. And deacons, servants, that's the word in here, by the way, servant is deacon. And so he calls himself a deacon. He's like, I'm, I'm a deacon, I'm the one who serves. And this is the pattern that you have for our ministry team leader so let's kind of reset and wrap things up on this first point what are deacons here's here's the answer biblically qualified men and women called by god to serve as the leading servants in a church so deacons are again qualified men and women so spiritually sound and mature men and women who serve as the leading servants in a church and so our church has multiple incredible men and women who serve this body and I want you to meet them if you don't know them. I want to introduce you first of all to Cindy Aiki. If you don't know Cindy, then you need to because she's amazing. She leads the children's ministry, so we use the language ministry team leader. That's what she is. But she serves in the office of deacon of children's ministries. That's, that's what her role is. And she leads an amazing team. A lot of you are on her team. You're on that ministry. And so you know how much hard work that is. And without Cindy, I, I can't even imagine what our church would be like. Because we have so many children and so many young families. And she, she works as hard as I do. And I, and I get paid. And she has another job on top of that. incredible and so this is Cindy who leads the children's ministry team she needs to go ahead and go back Um. next I'll introduce you to Kristen Narara she's in the back holding one of her children that's Kristen with with Mary there Ted is the other twin all right Kristen Narara leads our communications ministry team and she is even right now assembling a very rapidly growing team that oversees all things communications. And so this servant of God makes sure that the church knows what's happening so that we're all informed because we don't have a proper building. And so we need to make sure we know what's going to happen. So all things with the bulletin, the website, emails, database, follow-up, it's flyers, everything, anything to do with all things communication, PowerPoint slides, Kristen and her team oversee that and so very gifted. Again, I don't know what we do without Kristen. Very thankful for her and her leadership with the Communications Ministry team. Next, i introduce to Tim Icke. Tim over here, amazing leader. He leads the missions team and so he oversees a team of people that make sure our missions partners are, are healthy and so we have partners all over the world that he and his team They're the ones that have secured these partnerships. They oversee the budget for how we're supporting our missions partners. And they they also want to mobilize our church to be active with being on mission here globally and, of course, also locally. And so, Tim, um, huge blessing for how he leads a very important ministry. Again, the missions ministry team leader. Thank you, Tim. All right, next I want to introduce to you David Bickerton, and his wife, Jess, I don't know if she's upstairs teaching, she also serves on the children's ministry, and so this is David Bickerton, and where's David Barron? Right here at the front, and his wife is Darcy, she's home with the sick child, Um, and so these two gentlemen, David B, and David B, (laughs) David Barron. Yes, exactly. David with the last name B. Yeah, so this is David Bickerton. This is David Barron. These two gentlemen and their wives together are leading the welcome team. And so all things from greeting people, but also the follow-up and also the membership class. And so all things with getting people that are new and existing in the faith family to connect and be part of the life of the church. These men lead a very important ministry team. And so very thankful for David and David. Thank you, gentlemen. We also have Ashley Rungasami. He leads the worship ministry team. And so he's been doing this more recently, just the last month or so. Uh, He stepped into this role and already just hearing his vision. And I'm so thankful with song selection to leading the band, with, with overseeing the audio visual from the soundboard to even the screens. And the setup and it's it's a really big job. I mean it's amazing how he works so many hours at work and yet all these gentlemen and ladies as well, but Ashley does a great job with leading us uh, so that on a Friday morning we can all sing the praises of our Savior together. And so his heart is for us to savor God's presence on Friday and then throughout the week. So Ashley, thank you, brother. <clears throat> There are two other ministry teams that we're currently praying and, and solidifying uh, a leader for them. One is a home group ministry. We have 10 home groups led by amazing people. And another one is our finance ministry team. And so those two teams are also looking at, at solidifying who is leading that. Because we want to have a clear distinction with elder and deacon, where we don't have an elder who is overseeing a ministry team. That is that is the role of deacons. Currently, it's being done, like I oversee our home groups and Gilbert, the, the finance, but we're working quickly to get out of that job, get out of it, and unleash deacons to do their role to be the lead servants. And, and you just met the lead servants in our church. So main idea is, remember, healthy church leadership results in a healthy church. And so you just met our leaders. When, when they're healthy and they're leading healthy teams as they are, it will lead to the church as a whole being healthy. And so key question two, and this won't be nearly as long, but let's get our minds around specifically, but what is their role from this text in Acts 6? What, what can we learn about what exactly do they do from the ultimate perspective what is going on with all of these men and women when they're leading these ministry teams, when they're deaconing? What are they accomplishing? What is their role? Is it just a job that they're doing? There's a job, needs to be done. Here, you, you do that job. No, it's not a job. It's eternal. So let's talk about the specific role. Now, I'll tell you this. These three specific roles of deacons, they're all surrounded around The gospel. What these amazing men and women do, what they do is they help our church to be more gospel-centered. That's what they do. That's what deacons do. How? Number one, they meet needs in the faith family. And so our ministry team leaders meet needs in the faith family. That's what they do, number one. So in our world, if we're honest, our society does not value people that serve tables. The people who serve tables, the ones that do the menial tasks of serving others, are not respected. They don't walk on the red carpet in our world. And yet, in the kingdom of God, the people who serve tables are the most honored. The people who humble themselves and serve others are being like the master himself. And so in the economy of God, In the church of God, among the people of God, when we have deacons, they're meeting needs and what they're doing is accomplishing an eternal goal. You you just met our leaders. They all lead a team of people that serve under their leadership and direction. And if we took time to have everyone stand up that serves, it would be almost everyone in the room. And if you're not serving, you're missing out. You're missing out in the joy of serving Jesus, with others. But Let me ask you this. Why? Why do these incredible men and women, why do they serve the way that they do? Why? Is it because they get to stand up? No, they didn't even want to do that. I told them. And I had someone saying, ah, I don't really know about that. And I was like, no, it's important for a church to know who our lead servants are. Why do they do it? Just, let's just stop and think for a moment biblically. There are a lot of people in our world, in different faiths or religions, that serve others. But they serve others out of a sense of religious duty. And they tend to serve others as slaves. Being honest. Because they're trying to do good in order to earn God's love. They're trying to do enough good, serve others to get enough points or credits so that they can earn heaven, earn God's favor, earn His love. And in the end, that's not fulfilling, and it can't even be attained. There are other people who they'll serve, but it's always selfish. And they'll serve as long as they get what they want. They'll serve as long as they get what it is that they're looking for as a payback. So they'll serve as long as it's convenient, or as long as their ego is being stroked, or whatever it is that they want, and they're serving with selfish motives. But what is the difference with people who are passionate about Jesus, who serve selflessly for no recognition, not to earn God's favor? What is the difference? The difference is the gospel. That's what makes serving Jesus so different. Because the gospel message, this good news, is that God sent his son into the world. God himself became a human died on the cross paid for my sins and for yours he paid the price the condemnation that we deserved he endured was resurrected is alive today and anyone that believes in him will be forgiven and be with Jesus forever and have joy that's indescribable and this gospel message is a transforms how we serve because we know that we're loved We know that God already loves us. The gospel doesn't say, do good things in order to earn salvation. The gospel doesn't say, serve others so God will accept you. The gospel says, Jesus paid it all. God already accepts you. He already approves of you. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And what this does is it frees us. It's so liberating when you understand the gospel because it frees us. We have this new heart and new desires and we want to serve. The gospel frees us to serve sacrificially and with joy. Not to impress others because I don't have to impress anyone else. God's already impressed with me. Not that I've deserved it because Jesus paid for it. And he's adopted me into his family. And so being accepted by God gives me the ability to serve others sacrificially and freely. We read out of Psalm 100 earlier, it says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Serving with joy. Serving God is an act of worship. We're valuing Him. We're enjoying Him. A heart that has been overwhelmed by God's grace is a heart that naturally wants to serve it's the natural overflow and so our ministry team leaders these deacons they set the tone for gospel centered serving that's what they do they're the thermostat that sets the the thermometer the temperature at the right degree where it's gospel centered and it's set by our lead servants they meet needs in the church serve sacrificially Because they love Jesus and because he loves them. And so what the deacons do, they meet needs in the faith family. Number two, they enable spiritual growth in the faith family. And so they meet needs, but they also enable spiritual growth in the faith family. We saw it in verse four, where it says that the apostles were were dedicated to the ministry of the word and to prayer. How do people grow? How do people grow spiritually? You know how we grow spiritually? When we focus on Jesus and his gospel of grace. That's when we grow. When we lose our sight of Jesus and the gospel, we stop growing. But when we are focused on the glory of God, Jesus himself, and his grace for us, when we are immersed in the gospel, growth takes place. The gospel is like fuel. It's like putting logs in the furnace of your worship. And it enables you to crave God more than anything else that this world offers. And we have to be reminded every day to read his word, to meditate, to think on it. And we have to be reminded in our home groups, our discipleship groups, and on Friday mornings, we have to be reminded of the gospel. And so in order for senior pastor and other elders to be freed up, to focus on the ministry of the word, on spiritual leadership, and on prayer. For that to happen, they can't be overseeing the worship team. I can't sing anyway, even if I wanted to. I have no business being up here when they're singing. But we can't oversee the youth ministry, which incidentally, I forgot, but she's here. I want to introduce you to Sheila Slezak. I want her to stand up as well. She leads the youth ministry. And so, <laughs> forgive me, sister, but Sheila is incredible. We have a lot of children, but a growing number of youth in our church. And so I'm so thankful for Sheila and how she tirelessly helps lead our youth to know Jesus. And so forgive me for forgetting earlier, but yeah, that Sheila Slezak leads the youth ministry. But I can't lead that as well. And the kids, it's not possible. No one person, the elders can't oversee all of that, which is why God in his wisdom devised two leading bodies, elders and deacons, because we need both. What's more important? That's a dumb question. They're both equally important. Equal importance. Different role, equal importance. Next week, we'll talk about members and how everyone should be a committed disciple maker. All of us have a role to fulfill. And when deacons, when these team leaders are supporting the elders by enabling pastors focused on spiritual growth and on prayer, the church will be much healthier. And so they enable gospel centered growth. And if you serve on a team, then you know that your team leader cares about you, loves you, and wants what's best for you spiritually as they even lead you and enable you to be serving, experiencing that joy. And so number three, elders unify the faith family. That's what they do. They meet needs in the faith family. They enable growth in the faith family. And lastly, they unify the faith family. Remember what you had in Acts 6, division, disagreements, and conflict. And so what you had is to address that conflict, they had, Deacons come in, faithful leaders who would then restore unity within the church. That's what deacons do. Healthy ministries unify our church, and a healthy church will bear good fruit. And so I am so thankful, and I love and I pray for our ministry team leaders because they're the ones that help get everyone engaged in the mission. And so whenever we're making announcements on a Friday morning, it's part of worship. We're announcing how you can be a part of the mission that our church is accomplishing. And when we say, join a ministry team, and when they're asking you, will you join this ministry team, what they're saying is, will you be part of a gospel-centered church that is on mission and the gates of hell will not be able to withstand us because of the power of God and they're saying will you come and glorify God by making and developing disciples will you come be a part of what God is doing and so they're enabling they're mobilizing our faith family to be engaged in gospel centered mission that's what they do that's what deacons do I'm so thankful for them in verse 7 as we close Acts 6 here I lost my place let me find it again Acts chapter 6, verse 7, as we finish up. And the word of God continued to increase. A number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. In Acts 2 and in Acts 5, it says how the disciples were being added daily. Acts chapter 6 is the first time where the word multiply is used. Once they had deacons, once they had the leadership structure in place, there was no longer addition. Now you had multiplication. You had rapid growth. A healthy leadership leads to a healthy church that is fruitful and is multiplying. Healthy disciples multiply. We make more disciples. Healthy churches multiply, as we're about to do, planning a church in a few months. And that's what I want us to be. A healthy church that is fruitful, that is glorifying God by making and developing disciples. Are you contributing? Are you in? You pray with me. Father, we praise you. We praise you for you are good. You have saved us. You sustain us. You are currently sanctifying us into your son's image. And we want a church that experiences renewal, that becomes a church that you intend for us to be. I ask that you would bless our ministry team leaders. Give them wisdom and help them to lead this church. I pray that we would all be truly engaged in what you are doing. I pray for anyone right now in this room that has never repented of their sin and never trusted in you alone for their salvation. May they experience the joy of forgiveness and of your presence today. and May they too join us in being about this eternal purpose with hands lifted up, savoring your goodness and worshiping you with us as we will be worshiping you for eternity. We praise you for you are worthy. Thank you. And we pray these things in the name of our King and our love, Jesus. Amen.